0: Hey everyone. This is Maria Wells with the Savvy Millennial Podcast. We're a community dedicated to ambitious and successful millennials. And today with us, we have Ravi Ramindran. He's an amazing co-host of Bloomax Podcast, which hosts innovators, professionals, and a lot of other amazing human beings in tech and business ecosystem. They just celebrated their 75th episode, and the last 24 episodes they recorded over COVID breakdown. So he's going to tell us more about his company that also does sales for tech and software. And with that, please welcome Ravi. Hi, Ravi. How are you? Hey,
1: Maria. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you for coming uh, and spending some time with us today. I know COVID's been pretty busy for you. You just moved into Mm -hmm. your new home?
1: Yes, I did. A week before COVID hit and lockdown was called.
0: How was that process, you know, dealing with uh, moving the whole family through? Obviously, a lot of things are not open. You're trying to set up. How has the process been?
1: It's been a struggle, to be, to be honest. We're not, not only dealing with the move and moving into a new household, but furniture and our shipments, got, we canceled it because we don't want people coming in. After a long called. So the furniture shipments got halted. Then we also had a process of move, As I mentioned like my, before, um, I, we moved by my parents and my sister in here if we all can be together during this time. But then you all have to work from home too. So again, how do you do that when you have no furniture? <laughs> it's been a shift for everybody, how we operate individually and together, but also within the company. Now I, I go from spending like eight to 10 hours a day with my business partner and the people who we work with to almost no time. And everything's like Zoom, call, Zoom or, uh, or Slack or WhatsApp. The entire work life has shifted.
0: Let's dive into the background a little bit about yourself and about the podcast, but also about the other business that you guys are working on right now. How has the impact been on the business and the podcast during COVID, but also a little bit more information if you want to share about those two ventures?
1: So The podcast we created as a vehicle to meet cool innovators, uh, professionals, investors who all work with startups. And it was, it was mostly out of an interest project that became like a real mechanism to spotlight cool companies and emerging technology. But what our main line of channel that we do is sales for, again, technology companies for emerging technologies and cool new concepts. So basically, like our main business is sales for, fast for fast. Sales as a service for software as a service. So in Toronto, especially there's all this huge emerging market of of all these innovators creating new products, a lot of SaaS companies, but a lot of technologies in general. And the issue is the skills required to build out a product is different from the skills required to sell a product and move it within the market. And companies get stuck in the growth curve of not being able to grow after you know the founders or the people who initially started the company, they exhaust their initial reserves of clients to talk to relationships they have uh, they have to now hire and maintain a sales team who can do that on their behalf. And a lot of people, especially product-led teams, have really struggled with this because they don't understand the mechanisms, they don't understand the process, how to do that. And this is where we come in. And we kind of act like almost like VP of sales, an embedded team, help build up your sales pipeline, help understand who your target customer is, build personas, build scripts, and then deploy an arsenal of sales resources, aka agents, uh, BDRs, SDRs, sales managers, and build a team up specified to deliver your product project. It's been very lucrative.
0: So you're finding that even during COVID, the things for you guys didn't slow down because I assume a lot of companies are trying to sell more and trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to navigate the landscape. So you come in pretty handy. Absolutely.
1: So we work with a lot of essential businesses that are still operating during this time. The medical technologies industry is going through a radical transformation right now. COVID has completely changed the timeline of the modernization of medical technology. So what was like a 10-year gap in automation and tools that would be naturally adopted by industry is being done, like three years worth of growth we're seeing within three months. What usually took like seven to eight months of lead time to sell medical technology can now be done within days because there's hundreds of thousands of practitioners. I mean, you can think of anyone from not just primary care physicians, but, midwives nurses psychotherapists counselors marriage counselors like the list goes on and on all these specialties within the medical industry that now have to work virtually a lot of the workflows have to go go to a virtual environment have to shift into uh, using more tools to assess people online and digitally than in person
0: totally agree i mean that's unfortunately or maybe fortunately We are getting there faster than we thought we would be getting because of the necessity. Now, what companies do you think, or maybe you have them in your portfolio right now, maybe you're looking for new trends and new customers, but which companies do you think are going to be very popular? And which companies do you think people should look at starting right now? Maybe there is some wide space in the market.
1: Like, I don't believe in the idea of getting into a space just because it's hot. Because a lot of times, it takes a long time for you to get established as a company to get your product market fit and understand what your product is. So if you change a hot market by the time you enter it and have a viable solution for it, sometimes you're too late, right? Or like you can get pushed out of the market very quickly. So, but like, if you are in the happen to be a space, if you happen to be interested in that space, definitely medical technologies is number one for me, financial technologies probably number two. I had a number three. Hmm, restaurant e-commerce <laughs> restaurant technology so e-commerce 100% as a, as a model e-commerce again has been going through a phenomenal shift right so talking about uh, three so e-commerce has been experiencing a steady growth of like what 1% every year of the industry which is great growth rate for like a, as big an industry it is but in the last three months the entire e-commerce industry has grown 1% each month Three years of growth have happened in the last three months, and we haven't realized this yet. You know, as a society, we're we're so, so bogged down by all the, all the negative news of all the companies shutting down and being stuck. That I don't think we have realized the boom effect of all these specialized companies that are doing phenomenally well right now.
0: Well, I totally agree with you. The other part would be, you know, even starting side hustles on Amazon, you know, finding a product. Mm -hmm. and I have a few friends who are doing that right now and have been doing it for a while. And they said that their sales during this time have skyrocketed. And the way they started in the Amazon landscape was as a side hustle, they only spent a few hours a week. And then, you know, came to the point where they created a brand for a couple hundred dollars with like a design student and then they started exploring more products adding that under their brand and come to think of it a year later now they're running a three million dollar business and amazon mm-hmm. makes it super easy for them to run it would it be something that you would potentially recommend people to get in right now considering that unemployment rates have skyrocketed over the past two months
1: 100 percent, a side hustle is a must right um, in fact multiple side hustles so I think people need to stop thinking about jobs and start looking at thinking about income streams. So Rather what is your suggestion uh,
0: for income streams?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, definitely an Amazon hustle like that is an income stream that's viable. But again, it depends on the skill set that you have, the product, products you want to move in, want to sell our market, right? So I think that's very interesting. For me personally, I think it's a saturated space. Like the idea of marketing, of digital marketing, has been around and I've been taught around for so long that there's so many people, big players of space to get into it and build the skills it's a rough ride. But what I'm super interested in is in our space that we're in. Currently what technology is doing is they're atomizing business in the 90s, like outsourced IT, then software, then marketing, sales as being outsourced too. So there's a lot of opportunities that we're seeing of people white labeling existing technology products so instead of creating their own technology Going to a company and saying, Hey, let me buy the license to white label your solution and sell it under my own umbrella. Sales is, is changing. It's no longer being done internally within companies. I think a lot of people who are great at sales are communicating value, are removing themselves outside of companies and saying, why do I need to run a company? I can just take their existing solution and sell it under my own name. And they can do it by podcasting. They can do it by creating content and creating a funnel for themselves, creating an outbound team you know, like the cost of the barriers of entry have gone down rapidly.
0: How did you end up doing what you're doing now? Could you walk us through the process? You know, you probably sat one day and decided to just start a video podcast and do sales for other tech companies. How did you fall into this space? And is there an interest and passion? Absolutely. What led you here?
1: So I love sales. I've been doing sales for about 12 years. Um, In fact, one of my most personal, most personal moments of growth, the biggest growth I've had, where I was one of, one of the lead sales people at like uh, emerging technology companies in Toronto. And I built my career on that. I experienced phenomenal growth that, you know, I was able to, able to grow from it. I was able to financially provide to my family from it. I got, you know, settled in life more because of it. And I'm thinking about sales as like, has always been an industry of, that requires, that gives a lot of freedom to people. So if you're a good salesperson, you can make money in any market you can leave and go to Guatemala and do sales there if you can, right? Like especially doing online, uh, if you can sell things uh, digitally, video calls and cell phones, like it it gives you freedom. It's a skill set that gives you freedom. Just like Amazon, like automated channel or using digital ads to sell stuff, right? Doing direct sales, being able to communicate value, I think it's a skill that gives a lot of people freedom. So what we wanted to do was create a digital brokerage right? that brokers deal between companies that have great products that are willing to get somebody to sell it on their behalf and we pair it together with independent agents independent teams or even construct specialized teams um, that can go out and sell for them so we teach people all the time how do we how to become independent and become an independent sales agent work for yourself and uh, build an income stream that you can do for anywhere
0: I love it so then. If somebody wants to get into that business and somebody's looking right now at a career shift or a pivot, do you think that it's easy to start something new and get involved in what you're doing right now? What would be the steps that they need to take? Or what shift do they need to make in their current profession, job well, to, to be able to do it well?
1: Has, absolutely. If anyone has a job right now, I highly suggest they don't leave it. Job secured income, I think it's, yeah. become, a, uh, it's become a commodity. Um, there's so many people losing employment right now that anyone who has a kind of city income, I think, you should be blessed with it. But look into diversifying. What happens if your job gets liquidated? What happens if your company goes out of business? Or your department is no longer required, right? Or gets automated away. Whether due to the lockdown or due to automation, jobs are no longer secure. They're more ethereal than they've ever been. So use a city income to fund yourself. And you've a job to do jobs to learn, but definitely look into what can I do fractionally on the side and build up on my own to diversify my income. And just like investing in stocks or investing in real estate, you know, these are mechanisms that I try to test the times to diversify income streams. But what can you do fractionally on the side efforts, small well, efforts that can make you money in the future, right? And that could be studying an Amazon store, but that could also be helping sell technology online, being part of the automation revolution without actually having to build any automation product.
0: Is there a website you use to find those companies that are willing to offer opportunities to people to sell their products to white label?
1: So we're building it. Our website is super out of date. Um, We have not been in a while. (laughs) Okay. Um, So this is actually what we want to do, is provide this kind of, uh, be a brokerage and show, hey, these are the companies that are willing to let go of their solution. Either for a white labeling solution for you to sell on your behalf, under your own umbrella, or you, uh, you can sell on their behalf with some training. So we're trying to atomize sales and remove it outside of the firm, outside of individual companies, so that when cool ideas come around, they're not limited to the ability of them to attract the right sales agents and build the right team to actually get it to market. All they have to do is build the great product and the market can respond to itself.
0: So basically once people decide to, you know, either start something on the side or start something new, they can come to you guys and you will either help them sell their product or teach them how to sell someone else's. Exactly. I like it. Now, what do you think are the essential skills to be good at what you do? And how would you recommend people to develop them?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a skill, but it's a mindset, right? Um, you need to have a sense of hunger, a sense of urgency before life. I like it, yeah. And that starts by knowing yourself, knowing what your goals are, what you want from life, who you are, what your limitations are, what you're good at. I think a lot of people don't need to, need to take some time to get introspective. And the moment you have that realization, I think it opens up a lot more opportunity for you on what you can do.
0: Now, how do you recommend people pivot during this downturn? Obviously, 2020 is going to be rough. Recession is probably coming sooner than we expect. What do you think people should do? I mean, obviously other than keeping their day
1: jobs. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Keeping the day job and getting as much of a cash cushion as they possibly can. Like, because things are shifting so rapidly. Talking about millennials, like one of the things that millennials get made fun of a lot for is, you know, our generation don't buy houses like the previous generation.
0: (laughs) You just did.
1: (laughs) I just did. I like, you know, we broke a, a, a milestone, but Think about it, right? Like I'm I'm, I'm 30 by house, and even then, it was like you know, long time coming or a very calculated decision. The previous generation, they're buying houses when they're in their 20s, early 20s, sometimes, right, right out of university when things are cheaper. The economy has changed, right? Like uh, I was listening to Grant Cardone, you know, who who's really into real estate and talking about that, about income streams, and he's telling us like you know, the new generation doesn't buy houses, they 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 rent, they don't buy cars, they finance you know, they, they lease. Like our generation has seen the previous generation take on like an unse- unseemly amount of debt and take 40 years to pay off a 25-year mortgage and seeing the process of like of being stuck in life and, and a job that we want to be ethereal. We want to jump around to the newest, coolest company. We want to be able to move uh, new houses, new places, like, you know, in more than once a decade. And I think that ethereal kind of lifestyle is perfect for this kind of time because the fluidity that, that requires that, that kind of mindset to be in is perfect for the type of lifestyle that is going to become the new normal, where jobs are not stable, income streams can come and go, and you have to become more nimble.
0: You kind of have to you know, hone that solopreneurship mindset right now and uh, keep it probably for the rest of your life because at the end of the day, things can change quite fast. Now, in terms of, I know you mentioned Grant Cardone, what other people, advisors you follow or whose content do you consume? You know how they say you're the average of the five people you spend the most of your time? So in order
1: would be Joe Rogan. Lately, it's been Lex Friedman, who's an AI researcher at MIT. He runs a podcast now. Third would be Gary Vee. It's the main reason I started a podcast Got and got super into LinkedIn was because of Gary Vee. He yelled at had me over, over Instagram to get on LinkedIn. Yeah, those are the main four. And then probably number five would be uh, Grand Cardone, just on mindset of uh, sales and driving forward in life.
0: I love it. And then you obviously use their podcast, their social media. Now, any books that you've read recently or ever that are amazing and really could provide a lot of value? Over the past year,
1: I got really into the idea of really enough consciousness, like what makes us us. And a really interesting book that kind of changed the way I think about the mind and how we work. Uh, it's kind of French author. We Let me just get it up here. Yeah. Origin of Consciousness by We're Julian out. James. Right. And I really like this kind of thinking because it forced us to think about consciousness as something that evolved. So meaning there's like a primitive version of conscious before. And that's still locked away in our brains, and how that infl- inflates our thinking, and how it comes into our state of being. I think it's super interesting to know about, because as an entrepreneur, as someone who uh, who's, uh, who works in sales, where income streams are changing, come and go with, with the sales you make and your performance, mindset is such an important thing. To, be able to control your emotions, to control your anxieties, your stress levels, differentiate your days. Do I know yourself? Is to Self-actualize is to be powerful, right? To be effective, to be productive. I like those kind of thinking. So I've gotten really into that, those kind of books lately.
0: I like it. Now, you mentioned before how hunger is important. Where do you think you got your hunger? And do you think that's something that everyone has inside them or it's something that has to be cultivated?
1: Uh, I think it's both. I think everyone has hunger inside of themselves. A lot of people have it deafened either by... Uh, Just being spoiled in life and have opportunities being presented to them, or two, just never had a mechanism for for making use of that hunger, like for actually satisfying that hunger, right? So a lot of sales, especially sales management, having been a sales manager a lot, is you're trying to feed people's hunger, trying to figure out what makes them hungry for life. Is it money? Is it possession? Is it vanity and showing off, right? Like you know, is it self-acknowledgement? Like, what what is the motivation uh, behind people? I think everyone can benefit from having a growth coach, or a performance coach, or a manager, or a mentor, somebody who keeps you accountable to yourself, who, keep, who asks you to try questions about what you do. Because on the other side, of that discomfort is growth. The other side of being pushed forward is growth, right? And not enough people are pushed forward in, in directions that makes them uncomfortable to experience growth.
0: I totally agree with you. I mean, a lot of people also mention that, you know, sometimes they don't have the time for growth coaches and uh, sometimes there's not enough resources. And I agree with you. There has to be sometimes someone else motivating you when you're personally not fully there to do it yourself. But that's why I asked you about your five people that you follow the most, because I truly believe that in order for someone to be your mentor, they don't actually have to know that they're your mentor. You can yeah. just learn from them by seeing what they do, their path, learning from their books, uh, stories, and content that they post. Uh, taking their mm-hmm. courses, so they don't actually have to be the person that know your name, but you can still learn from them and get motivated.
1: Yeah, I mean, going back to that, like uh, I like what you said about like you know, they don't necessarily have to be like a, a mentor. Like it's a set in stone like YouTube has completely changed everything I think when it comes to our collective consciousness right like look at the hundreds of thousands of hours of content that you can find from anybody any kind of professional at any kind of level right like I recently came across like the Virginia School of Law has put up the entire course curriculum on YouTube and literally has like the former head of like Lehman Brothers the former head of um, like Wells Fargo like talking about how to operate at their levels, right? They're teaching classes at Virginia Law School to train the future leaders on how to, how to navigate using the law, how to navigate using the framework that they've learned, and all that knowledge is for free. Is there, right? Oh,
0: I love it. I need, to, I need to check it out. I mean, I've been searching things on YouTube. I, uh, during this COVID season, I try to pick up some skills, just mm-hmm. random things, try to play the guitar. So YouTube is yeah. very, very amazing for it. Airbnb has shifted quite a bit and did quite well in their online experiences. You can pay someone, I don't know, 20 bucks or something, you know, something not substantial who can teach you from around the world. Like for me, playing the guitar, they can give you a lesson. The other thing I've done is masterclass. So I think they had a promotion going on. Uh, It was 240 bucks for two people. And we got the membership and it's actually pretty amazing. Like the content and the creation, the purpose, the direction and the people that are providing those courses are incredible. So there's yeah. a lot of resources out there.
1: Yeah. I think that's the interesting part, right? Like I think like even education got to change along with it because before it was like, you know, you, you pay like a high end school to train, give you access to all these like, senior leaders, who can, you know, all the, all the leaders in, in, in that particular industry that can teach you, right? That, that used to be the business model within universities and even like high-performing schools. But now knowledge is all out there. It's all for you to go in and take. So I think that an needs to be a retraining of, of people of the mind to think about how do I teach myself better? How do I find information I need better, right? Because the information's out there. You've got to connect with it.
0: I totally agree with you. Now, what do you wish you had known when you started out? It can be like a multitude of things, but if somebody was just starting out or if you could go back and tell yourself something, what would you tell yourself?
1: Accounting. <laughs> the main thing that sticks out is to like get some formal understanding of accounting and how taxes work, because that is so hard to learn, at least for me. Like Again, going back to all the knowledge that's there, like having like an ability to like a structured learning for certain concepts, I think is key. And you know, being an entrepreneur, having built like my fourth company, the biggest hurdle I've had is trying to figure out how to account for everything. How to make sure that the bills are paid on time. How to make sure that you have enough to pay the bills on time. Um, how to hire, when to hire, when to when to grow, when not to grow. Like we think of accounting as a super boring way of just keeping numbers tabulated properly, but when done right. It is the lifeblood of a company. It just gives you the, the flow. It's like looking at a bloodstream of an organism. You know where what, what's going into where. You know what's working, what's not. Being able to read that is important. Listening to like the owner of uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Oh, what is his
0: name? The Berkshire Hathaway is it Ray Dalio or Warren oh. Buffett? Warren Buffett. So Warren Buffett is like his job is super boring because
1: like all are looking at the companies is like he's reading their balance sheets, they're reading their accounting books. But he's trained his mind to be able to see within those numbers patterns of how this company is working, uh, whether it's undervalued, overvalued, uh, where it's gonna be in the next five years, 10 years. And that's a really important skill that uh, I don't think uh, you can learn by yourself, even though he did. At least I'm I'm having trouble with it. I guess in this sense, get some formalized education is sometimes required.
0: Yeah, but but, I mean, you could take a course online or, you know, Google Mm a few things. I'm sure there is, you don't have to go to school for four years to learn how to read a balance sheet or an income statement.
1: Or you can hire somebody who's really good at it.
0: And that's what I think, you know what, I'm a big supporter of delegating tasks because I truly believe that no great leader is fantastic on their own. They usually Mm -hmm. have a very strong team doing either the things that they're not good at or the things that they don't want to do. And that's how they become great by surrounding themselves with very fantastic and smart humans. So maybe you should hire someone for accounting. Talking aloud
1: has uh, definitely brought brought me to that realization. (laughs) I think like when it comes to like skills development, right? How do you learn or know what to learn if you don't know what it is you need to learn? The circular kind of path, like how do you know the unknown
0: unknown? I'm a big supporter of action creates motivation and passion. So just trying to hope that motivation and creativity will enter your mind as you sit and wait for it to come probably never happens. But the more you act, the more you try things, the more narrow down your vision becomes on what exactly you want or what exactly you like or you don't like. So you try to learn multiple skills. I don't know. I, I still don't know the right answer to that one.
1: That's the accurate thing, right? Like you learn multiple skills and know a little bit of everything or do you focus on like one, two things and become a master of it?
0: What, what do you think is the answer? To be a jack of all trades and a master of none or a general... I think life? to be an
1: effective leader and okay. almost like leadership, I think you need to know a little bit of everything because how can you hire someone, like a good accountant, if you don't know what how to evaluate a good accountant? How do you hire someone for sales if you don't know sales and don't know how a good sales system looks like? Or what mindset they would need to have? Right? How do you go out and learn guitar if you don't know what a good guitar player looks like and how it sounds like? Right? So if you need to know enough about something to know what's good and what's not and what you need to know that you can then evaluate what's actually good for you. Does that make sense? It's like learning to, guitar, it's like learning to play guitar but you've never heard A great guitarist.
0: You just have to learn things and be good at a lot of things in enough ways where you're not a professional, but you can understand uh, how to at least evaluate things. I mean, I see that a lot with tech companies where co founders are not technical, but they understand enough about the code and how the software operates in order to understand what they need to fix, who they need to hire. Mm-hmm. but they're obviously not coders. So I totally agree with you on that.
1: Going back to that, the millennial aspect of this, right? Like the finance side, as I mentioned, like obsessed about learning more about finance because it's a lack of formal training that, you know, our generation never got. We never got it in high school. We never learned it in school. We never learned about mortgages. and property, properly let it go in high finance, right? And I've got obsessed into, after watching like, people like Warren Buffett talk, Ray Dalio talk, and people who run these hedge funds and financial firms, start realizing how limited sometimes your thinking is. Because I always always like, you know, as I growing up as an as like a entrepreneur, I want to build companies. The only thing accounting is something you do is like a very small subset of business. You know, you're, you're putting numbers down, you're keeping track of what, who owes what, and all that, all those kind of things. But then start looking into these senior leaders of what they do and how their mindset they work with their numbers. And understand that these financial companies, there's so many... I guess, financial instruments they can utilize to drive business forward. Listening to these people talk, like, you know, you learn something like, uh, you learn some kind of terminology, like uh, listening to Ray Dalio, he started talking a lot about what's the delta, the delta is this, this is the delta of, of this company, of this, of this transaction. Like, you know, I thought, oh, cool, you know, I started looking at fundamentals, right? Listen to uh, venture capitalists, right, who invest into companies, I recently learned what like, a warranty is. know, a tag-along phrase, a tag-along contract that can be built into the initial buy of a sale, that can give the rights of the warrantier to buy stocks at a cheaper discount later on. That's something that you would never have learned if you don't know what you're going to look for.
0: Absolutely. Or if you're not interested in the topic, or if, I mean, you you probably didn't get an opportunity or a chance to go to school and receive mm-hmm. formal financial education, but even then, I mean, I went to school, and uh, I don't think warranty was specifically described uh, in school, and it's something yeah, you really learn how to apply it. I think that's the part where you know financial literacy is the uh, or the lack of financial education. Is a problem. And I think I see that with a lot of millennials and people uh, close to our age where, you know, when the recession hits, and I feel like the recession is going to come, a lot of people will be very unprepared to weather the storms. Now, to take a pivot to obviously, you know, get to the lighter side, how do you motivate yourself? And also, do you have a routine that you follow every day?
1: My routine is the first thing you got to do every day is, is a workout, some kind of workout, right? It used to be, for me, I was hitting the gym in, right in the beginning, like how you set in or like cycling or doing like either cardio exercise or like a workout. But not being able to the gym is uh, drastically affected by performance, right? Because like the energy you get out of a, a heavy rush workout in the morning is unparalleled. And you get pumped up the ready to go. During lockdown, it's like, what can I use around the house like Pull-up bars, weight, like whatever weights I have here. I don't, have, I don't really have much. Um, you can use like at least to get a flooding. in. That's that's super important for me. I would value like physical health being the first thing you get to prioritize like a day, so you can power you to to achieve your your goals to get to the next level.
0: I love it. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, I have been slacking on my gym routine, not going to lie, mm-hmm. but, but I've been getting out on jogs and bike rides during this COVID season, obviously physically distancing myself, but that's my way to stress relief and uh, find some mindfulness and you know, manage my anxiety. Now, yeah. what would be your tips for managing the stress during COVID and beyond? Do you have any hacks?
1: Drinking and video games? Does that count? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, it, it does. You know what? I don't think people give enough credit to their leisure activities. Everybody usually yeah. tries to hide those and I think those are important. What's your I guess routine on the weekends? Do you go to bed at a certain time? Do you wake up at a certain time? Do you still work out? How's your weekend differ from your regular weekday?
1: Yeah, I mean, anyone who knows me knows that like I hate the whole nine to five mindset, right? Where you're yourself yourself the weekend time for partying and relaxing. This is the time for me to work. I have a blended lifestyle, I guess. The weekend blended. definitely is more, more, more for like family time and all that kind of stuff. But I still wake up at the same time. I'm still doing work. I still get it. At, like, you know, like Sundays are more for like especially I try to reserve like purely for family and getting my family stuff done. But I'm still checking emails, still working out in the morning, still working at the same time, still sleeping at the same time. I'd like to keep like uh, a consistent consistency throughout my day. How about yourself like do you follow follow a different pattern?
0: I mean, I clearly do the you know the 9 to 5, that's my that's my yeah. routine. I do agree with you I have to work out every day. Now what considers to be a workout? I used to be in that mind trap that you have to work out 2 hours a day every day and I used to be in that fairly unhealthy mindset I would say because I think the intensity of your workouts matters. So I started doing Mm -hmm. intermittent fasting, first of all, because it helps you to reduce inflammation in your body. And I started working out for about 30 to 45 minutes a day. And high intensity, it's either very fast-paced jog or weights or HIIT workout. And I found that's way more beneficial for me than anything else before I, I was doing previously years before uh now in terms of going to bed i used to be a very much of a night owl i loved staying up until two in the morning whether it's reading or writing or searching online for something great ideas and i thought that you know it kind of gave me that relief because i knew that during night a lot of people are sleeping and you kind of have this advantage but i also realized that sleeping only five hours a day is very not healthy I don't know if yep. you read the book uh, why we sleep. It's a very good one. I mean, it puts a lot of things in perspective. I mean, we all know you got to get enough sleep, how crucial it is for your hormones and your and your organs. But the book really puts a lot into perspective and uh, it talks about how your body works and that, you know, we might convince ourselves that it's enough to sleep 5 hours. It's not. On average, I think people need 7 or 8 hours. So I go to bed at around 10, I try to wake up at 7, maybe sometimes before, and then uh, the rest of the time, it's uh, working, workouts, and creativity, and uh, podcasts. <laughs> Do you go to bed early? I don't think so. I think you're a night owl.
1: Nope. I'm a such a night owl. I am not functional in the morning. My peak efficiency is probably 6 p.m. till like 2 a.m. What? yeah
0: do you think that'll ever change
1: um i've tried desperately right especially this year so my business partner henry he's, he's a morning person so when we first started uh, working together you know i'll be up like 2 a.m 3 a.m sometimes 4 a.m sending out emails proposals packages uh, over to him and he, he's up at like five o'clock in the morning you know does his meditation hits the gym and by six o'clock He's on the emails. He sees he, he, what I sent him like two hours ago and he's actually on it. And it was such a tag team uh, benefit, right? And like by the time I'm up and, and, uh, and operational, he's finishing up his work day and telling, you know, give me a, me update. I pick it up from his inputs and I'm, I'm running, right? And we had such a tag team
0: that we're combined, we're operating at like 15 hours a day. Perfect. That's a perfect partnership because both of you are just efficient. Now, what time do you yeah. get up? Um, I generally try
1: to be up, but my alarm's at 8.30 and I get up at nine, which is pretty super late, but you know what? I'm, I'm up to one o'clock most days.
0: Yeah. You would still get enough sleep technically if we think about it. Cause you, you don't go to bed at one and wake up at five. You, you actually get your full, full rest. I like that.
1: I try to, yeah. One o'clock is like my cutoff. I sometimes be up till two, but yeah, even then, eight to, eight to seven hours, I, you need to get that in.
0: Now, why one o'clock? What do you do from that, you know, 10 to 1, like that 10 p.m. to 1 a.m.? Are you full productive mode or are you just finding yourself searching? Oh, yeah.
1: And that requires like high creativity or, or like, like high level thinking, I leave for the evening. So, like, podcasts, uh, talking to clients, you know, team meetings, all that stuff happens in the day and is draining. But for whatever reason, for me, when the sun starts going down, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 6 p.m., 7 p.m. hits, right? The darker it gets, the more hyperactive my brain gets. And I can start diving into, like, more, like, deeper thinking. Like, I need to get a, put together a proposal for a client. That's the time I do that. If we need to, like, think about restructuring our website or, or like, our graphic design uh, feedback I have to give back, like, that's, that's the time to do it for me.
0: I love it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. I'm going to take a page out of your book and, uh, Are you and try it. I used to be. And then, uh, you know, when you get into relationships, uh, you yeah. kind of have to adjust. <laughs> so I, I yeah. adjusted and uh, I like the new normal. I find that I'm very tired right now in the evenings. Uh, by 10 p.m., I need to go to bed but maybe I should just power through it and just wake up a bit later and uh, find the creative mindset because I used to be just like you and I used to love the no noise. Your phone is silent, your inbox is silent. It's just your time to do your thing. I like it. Now, what would be your superpower?
1: Moving things by freaking mind, I'd be the best.
0: I like it. I like it. If you had to point out a weakness, one or two or none... What would it be? Or an area of uh, opportunity for improvement.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of softening the blow. For me, my biggest card has always been like, time management, right? Time always escapes for me because like, I get inspired by ideas at random times. I, I need to dive into them. My time gets thrown into random directions for the day. And I've actually structured my life, so I'm more fluid. So it's like, you know, I try to focus on one great problem a day. Like, you know, how, how is the power of one? If I have one thing taken care of today, I'm happy. Everything else is extra. And the reason I do that is because, like, managing time is such a drain, right? Like, I, I don't know about you, but, like, I'm not one of those people who, like, can, like, organize my day to the hour. Like, oh, I'm scheduling this thing, this hour, this hour, this hour. For the most part, I do because you're forced to, you know, in order to function in society at a high level with other people. But trying to keep fluid is, so it's such a premium for me, right? So I can focus on things that I want to do in a day rather than what I'm forced to.
0: I totally agree with you. I mean, my days tend to be partially fluid, partially scheduled. So I try to keep a good balance of things, I think. But I think it is important to, what you said, pick one important task and focus mm-hmm. on it. Because I think I fall into the idea of being all over the place sometimes. And you know how... Tony Robbins usually says you underestimate what you can do in a lifetime, but you definitely overestimate what you can do in a day. And that's me. I'll overestimate. I'll put a list together of all the things I need to do. And then I'll feel guilty at the end of the day that I haven't done, let's say half of it. (laughs) I need to manage that. Do you get into that mode or not really?
1: I do. But like, again, like the way I'm trying to construct my list is that today I'm trying to get I want to get this one thing done. And then I'll lift up all the other things that would be nice to do, nice to be done, right? Because there are certain days where you're like so over-drawn like, that like you do one thing and then you're like, you oh, know what, I'm done. But so you being able to be like, you know what, I'm done this so I can go out and relax or everything else just screening aspect. But then there are certain days where you're like, you feel hyper-productive and you're like, i got this one thing done, I want to do more, right? So I think the hack... I mean, the mind-body hack is to, if you can focus on that one thing, and if you're feeling productive, power through more. And if you're not, give you the flexibility to move on.
0: I like it. So now, as a high performer, you probably feel sometimes guilty. How do you deal with this self, uh, self-loathing and guilt?
1: <laughs> what alcohol is for, right?
0: <laughs> Video games and alcohol. Got it. Perfect. Alcohol. I like it. Okay, well, on this note, every single guest that we have on the show, we ask the following. A millennial is, a millennial should be, and a millennial is not. Are you ready?
1: Mm.
0: A millennial is?
1: A, a millennial is fast learning. Fast learning? Yeah, I am. Uh, like, I think rapidly learning is what, I like it. what they're defined as.
0: I agree because I think I mean they do say that our attention span is twelve seconds uh, or less, kind of less than a goldfish. Mm-hmm. But I think that's mm-hmm. because we've grown up to absorb information so rapidly and switch so fast, as you mm-hmm. said. So I totally agree with you. A millennial should be
1: rapidly adaptable.
0: Ooh, I like that. It's very very reasonable, especially right now. A millennial is not a millennial is not lazy. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. Now, what does the future hold for Robbie? Short future, long term future, whatever you want. So, I just recently shared my scary audacious goal for my future, right? What
1: I want to be doing in the next 20 years is being part of or, or running a company that is mining space, space mining.
0: Space mining.
1: I think it's going to become viable in a lifetime. The Canadian government just opened up the procedures on how it's opening up space exploration for the private agencies, and the timeline is 2030 to begin that operation.
0: Okay, that's crazy. Now, like, how did you get into this? What passion drives you in that space? Are you going to become friends with Elon Musk? Because I feel like he's going to be fine. you.
1: Have to, be. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, absolutely. Like, I think like. SpaceX is going to provide the rocketry. Virgin Galactic is going to provide, like, space tourism and get people more interested in space. Uh, Blue Origin is going to provide more of the infrastructure for delivery and, and for supply chain and space. So I think a lot of, like, private and public interest are going into building infrastructure for space exploration. And I think it's going to be an industry that we developed in our lifetime, especially within, like, like, 20 years. And all plans are pointing towards that. And I've had this interest since forever. Like, what little kid doesn't dream of, like, you know, a rocket ship and being a spaceman, right? And now, would you want to startup. go
0: to space? So, like, Elon Musk says that if he could go to Mars and uh, populate Mars and stay there in a colony, he would, even though it means he'll probably never come back to Earth. Would you be able to do that? I would be
1: like the two thousand or the twenty thousand person, you know i <laughs> I'm go asked it's been trying to test it. Like I love the sense of adventure, but for me, what really fascinates me is the problem-solving side of it. I'm sure there's more than enough people who are willing to be astronauts and take the pioneering risk of going up there and, and trying to develop a lifestyle. But I still think there's a lot of problems we solve down here, and part of space and exploration is, is, is going to provide the resources to solve a lot of real-world problems, like earth problems.
0: I love it. So at one point, Bluemax is going to pivot and start doing more on the SaaS for space. I
1: don't know if it's going to be Bluemax, but it'll definitely be something I want to do personally in like 10, 20 years. Like, looking into how we can get into space exploration. That'll
0: be cool. I love it. Okay, well, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens and know where you guys are going to go in 20 to 40 years and b- follow the progress. Hopefully, you're not going to depart anytime soon to Mars. Now, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, learn more about your future, exciting projects, maybe space exploration, maybe the podcast, or where do they find you?
1: So we actually created a platform called Pitch that ties together all social media accounts together.
0: So can you spell it?
1: Sorry, S-I-T-H-S. Perfect. Stitch, okay. Great. Right. So, stitch.app slash or stitch.app.com switch, slash ravi, and you'll find all my social channels, all the company's social channels, our podcast, everything will be there.
0: Perfect. Well, I'll link it also in the in the show notes so people can easily just click and find everything they need. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything with us from your background to your future plans in the next 20 years. You're fantastic. And I'm excited to have you guys again on the podcast in a little while once you maybe update the website or once you have more exciting projects coming up. Thank you, Maria, for having me.